Welcome to Emmanuel. How are you doing today, church? It is good to be with you today. You know, it's extra specially fun, or extra special, it's a lot of fun to start a new series. Uh, and, and because when we start a new series, there's new content, and I don't know, I just kind of kind of get pumped up about that. And so if you're a guest with us here today, we want to welcome you. Thank you for accepting someone's invitation, a friend, a family member, a co-worker. Uh, you decided to finally show up or come, accept an invitation. Thank you. We hopefully, hopefully thus far you feel welcome in our home. And you've had a good experience uh, so far. If you're joining us online, we want to thank you for tuning in. We know there's people watching all across the United States and even all across the world. And so thanks for dialing in today. We're starting a brand new series today called Get a Grip. Get a Grip. And so I'm excited about this. You know, I've used this phrase before. You've probably used this phrase before uh, when you, you know, talking to somebody or maybe someone said it to you, man, you need to get a grip in your life. Or maybe you've said that to somebody. And what we mean or what someone has meant when they said that to us is that there's some area of our life that's out of control. Do you agree with this? Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a spending habit. Maybe it's some sort of negative pattern in your life. Maybe it's the, you know, your, your bedroom's out of control, your house is out of control, or maybe it's a pattern of eating, or maybe it's a pattern of spending. There's something in your life that's out of control, and so someone that you love or someone that's close to you has said, hey man, you need to get a grip in that area, because if you don't get a grip, there's going to be some negative consequences in your life. Isn't that why they say it? If you keep going down that path, there's going to be some negative consequences in your life. And then really that's what this series is all about. We're going to talk about some key areas that we really need to get a grip of because if we don't, we are going to pay a price in the end. And so just FYI, next week we're going to be talking about getting a grip on our sexuality. And so it's going to be about PG-13, so keep that in the back of your mind. It's going to be a great week to check in the little kids to the children's ministry so that they're not in the room here with us. So next week we're going to be talking about getting a grip on our sexuality because our culture today is out of control when it comes to sex. Do you agree? Yes, sir. Okay, so that's what we're going to tackle next week. We're just going to go for it. Okay, we're going to go for it. Today, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about our words today. In, our, in your notes, if you're a note taker, I encourage you to be. Our words are out of control. We live in a world today where people believe they can say anything they want to say to whoever they want to say it to, whenever they want to say it. It's out of control. I think that perhaps social media has made this much worse. I mean, I think we've always had a problem with words in our country. But I think today someone can get behind a phone, behind a laptop, and because they feel like they, I don't know, they're kind of in the privacy of their own home, that they can just, in 141 characters, say whatever they want to say, however mean and nasty that it is. I think social media has made that much worse of a problem. In fact, Jimmy Kimmel dubs this thing called Mean Tweets, and I don't watch his show because I go to bed at around 10 o'clock, 10.30, <laughs> but uh, I've heard that he does this thing called Mean Tweets. They did the NBA version of it not too long ago, and so he had several NBA all-stars on there or NBA players on there reading these mean tweets that people have said about them. I guess it's become kind of vogue and cool to say hurtful and mean things about celebrities. I didn't know that was a thing, but I guess it is. This one particular guy, uh, what's his name? The guy from Houston. Um, yeah, we have a picture of him. 
Yeah, James Harden. He gets up there and he reads this tweet, real tweet off of his phone. This is what it says. James Harden always looks like he's just about to lead the Israelites through the Red Sea. (laughs) That was the nicest one that, (laughs) from that series of tweets. Most of them I could not say in church because they were so mean. Well, I'll tell you about one more. DeAndre Jordan is a guy that plays on the Clippers, and he can't make a free throw for his life, you know? He's but, uh, and so one guy actually wrote, the reason that DeAndre Jordan cannot make free throws is because his eyes are too close together on his face. <laughs> so mean. So mean. I mean, who writes stuff like that? Just mean people do, right? Haters are going to what? Are they gonna, they're going to hate, and that's what they do. So, but it's become kind of cool in vogue to kind of be mean and, and hurtful and... And uh, people just feel like they can say whatever they want to say. Recently, the, the actress, Kath, uh, not actress, the comedian Kathy Griffin, uh, some of you know about her. It's a photo of Kathy. And she thought it would be okay to post a, a photograph of, you know, President Trump with his head chopped off. And, and I can't even show you the picture. It's so graphic. It's like, oh, it's just it's so distasteful. She thought it would be funny to put that out there, have some sort of satirical, you know, co- comedic flavor to it. And immediately after she posted the photo, the backlash started and she had to go out and do a public apology. And and what's incredible about that whole situation was that she thought it would be okay to post something like that, uh, uh, you know, in our world today without any sort of backlash or, uh, of any kind. Well, CNN quickly fired her from the, from the deal that she does with Anderson Cooper uh, for, uh, on New Year's Day, and so she lost that job. Uh, then she, all, she lost another lucrative endorsement because of the photo, and then she lost 15 um, events that she was scheduled to do. They just canceled her 15 times in a row, and so, so far she's lost about a million dollars in revenue because she felt like like it was okay to kind of say whatever she wanted to say. And of course, with that photo, she's basically saying it's okay, you know, to either kill the president or want to kill the president and stuff like that. And so it's just, it's, it's crazy in our world today that people just think they can say whatever they want to say. James puts it this way. James, the brother of Jesus, he talks about the, the, the words and the tongue this way. He said, all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures have been, t- or have been tamed or are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. Think of a circus, like lions and tigers and bears. We can tame those, those, those animals, right? Human beings can, but watch this. But no human being can tame the, say it with me, the tongue. The tongue is untamable, this little muscular organ in our mouth. No one can get a grip, notice that's the title of our series, no one can get a grip on our tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Have you ever thought about your tongue that way? (laughs) Have you ever thought about words that way? The tongue, this is the brother of Jesus. Like he, if anybody understood humanity, understood what was inside a person's heart, it was the brother of Jesus, the one who spent a lot of time with Jesus. He says the tongue is, is a source of restless evil and deadly poison. In verse 9 he continues, he says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, which we just got done doing here for about 20 minutes, and we're singing, we love you Jesus, we love you, you know, bless the Lord, oh my soul, right? We're praising God, and with the same tongue we curse human beings who are made in the image of God. James continues, watch this. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should 
not be the case. In one moment, we're saying, God, I love you. Praise Jesus. He's awesome. We love God. In the next moment, we're slandering somebody, cursing somebody, saying mean things about somebody, using words to harm people. James says, this should not be the case. Why? Two reasons in your notes. Number one, harmful words are inconsistent with God's plan. It's inconsistent. To to use the same tongue, the same muscular organ inside of our mouth to both say, God, I love you, and then go on the other hand and start to use words to slander somebody or hurt somebody. It is inconsistent. We could even use the word hypocritical. How many unbelievers are out there, atheists, agnostics, people of different religions, who look at people of faith and they hear us saying, oh, I love God, I love God, Jesus is my Savior, and at the same time talking bad about people. What do they think about us? They think we are what? Say say it with me. Hypocrites. Why? Because it's inconsistent with God's plan for the same tongue to bless God and then curse people or use our words to hurt people. James says it should not be the case that we do this. Number two, the reason why it shouldn't be the case is because harmful words can do great emotional damage. You've been on the other end of harmful words. You've heard somebody say, I don't love you anymore. You're ugly. I wish you were more like your sister. I don't want to be with you anymore. You're fat. You're this. You're that. You're not as talented as this person. You've been on the other end of harmful words, have you not? And you know the pain. You know what it's like to be on the receiving end of harmful words. Jesus, James says, you know what? This should not be the case because words cut deep. The whole thing of sticks and stones and break your bones, but words will, it's not true. Words go down deep into our soul. Listen to the proverb, chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of what? The tongue. Words can kill. Words can crush. And those who love to talk will eat its fruits. Those who love to speak all the time are going to bear the consequences. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I heard somebody say it like this one time. Be careful what you say because words, words can be forgiven, but they can never be forgotten. Do you agree with this? Some of you even now, you're thinking through what was said to you years ago by an ex-husband, an ex-wife, a friend, an ex, I don't know, parent. Not an ex-parent, but <laughs> parent. And you, you can still hear the words. You may have forgiven. Maybe you haven't forgiven. You may have forgiven, but you haven't forgotten what was said. I remember years ago when I was a, a, a squirrely teenager, I had an uncle, a cousin actually. He actually said to me and, and, and his brother, who was also my cousin, he said, you two, he said to us, you two are going to end up in jail. Never forgotten that. We almost did go to jail. So even though it was somewhat true, you know, it hurt. And all these years later, I still remember, I said, you know, I could see him saying it to us. Be careful what you say. It can be forgiven, but it could never be forgotten. Now, I know some of you are like me, and you sit in a, in a situation like this, and, and you kind of spar with the preacher, you know. I do it too, you know. It's like, yeah, well, you know, well, it's not really me, you know. You know, this talk really would be good for so-and-so and so-and-so, you know. 
But I'm kind of cool with words like, you know, I kind of got a little bit of a grip on it, you know. Not me. Can I just encourage you not to do that? Because for, here's the thing about words, and, and we tend to lack self-awareness when it comes to our own tongue. Like, we're really aware of how hurtful others' words are. But, but our own words, we tend to let ourselves off the hook. Well, I didn't mean that. Yeah, I didn't mean that. I mean, not really me. You know where that came from. It's okay. You know, I'm sorry. You know, we don't, think, we don't think that our words are that harmful, right? Please, so please, for the next few moments, don't, don't give yourself a pass. Don't think about that other person and that, that, that should be here. I want you to let God speak to you about this muscular organ in your mouth. Is that cool? Can we do that? Because your words matter. Your words are impactful. In your notes there, your words are a big deal. How big of a deal are your words? They are a huge deal. Listen to what Jesus had to say about your words and my words. Watch this, Matthew chapter 12. I tell you the truth on the day of judgment, everyone here will have a day of judgment, whether you're a Christ follower or not a Christ follower, okay? Part of the Christian faith, part of a different faith. You believe in God, you don't believe in God. All of us will have a judgment. We'll stand before God And in that judgment, watch what's going to happen. People will give an account of every careless word they speak. This little phrase here from Jesus' mouth is idle word. It means the talk that that you use around the water cooler when you really don't have anything else to talk about. It's the kind of talk that you, that you have as a high school student or a middle school student on, on your way from one class to another class. It's the kind of talk that you get on and you know you have nothing better to do, so you look at social media and just kind of, just kind of spout off or whatever. It's the talk that has no purpose. Jesus says... Even the talk that that you use when you really don't have anything else to talk about, that talk you will give an account of, which means by default you will also give account of the intentional words that you use. When you actually have to solve a problem or you go into a meeting or you have to talk to your spouse about something or your kids or your mom or dad about something and the words have to be very intentional. In other words, we will give an account of all of our words. Watch this, he continues. But, for, but by your words, you will be justified, or, or and by your words, you will be condemned. What does that mean? It simply means that as a Christ follower, you'll stand before God and give an account of all of your words, and you're either going to be rewarded or you'll suffer loss. If you're not a Christ follower, you'll stand before God and, you'll be just a, and your words will be played out, and you will either be allowed to come into heaven or you'll be denied entrance into heaven. We, our words will be the difference maker. In other words, at our judgment, God's going to, I don't know this for sure, but here's how Jesus at least, you know, plays it out a little bit. He's not going to be saying much. At our judgment, he's, he's going to play the recorder. And he's going to look at you and he's going to look at me and say, back on April 1997, April 10th, 1997, here's what you said. And then on on January 3rd of 2010, on Tuesday, here's what you said. And he's going to play back to us what we said. And by our words, we will be justified. And by our words, we will be condemned. So 
At this point, here's what I imagined in my head as I was preparing this talk. Every one of you are sitting up on the edge of your seat with your pen. You're about to take notes. Because now you know that your words are a big deal. Do you agree? Yes or no? We got to get a grip on our words. So how do we do it? Here we're going to dive in. We're going to look at three ideas on how to get a grip on our words. On our words. Number one, we're going to admit our need. We're going to admit our need. We cannot do this by ourselves. James said it this way. I'll just go back to verse eight. No human being can tame the tongue. We can tame lions and tigers and bears, but we cannot tame the tongue. This is something that God has to help us with. Why? Because word problems are heart problems. That's the way Jesus put it. Word problems are heart problems. Last time I checked, I cannot change my heart on my own. You cannot change your heart by yourself. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. He said, what you say flows from what is in your, say it with me, heart. The contents of your heart. If there's jealousy in my heart, my words will be filled with jealousy. If there's anger in my heart, I I will have angry words. If there's lust in my heart, my words will be lustful. If there's insecurity in my heart, my words will be filled with insecurity. On the other hand, if there's joy in my heart, my words will be joyful. If there's peace in my heart, I will have peaceful words. If there's patience in my heart, (laughs) help me Jesus, my words will be patient. What you say flows from the contents of your heart. Who you are, your character, your insides. Uh, It tickles me when people say, after they say something really hurtful, they'll look at the other person and say, "Ah, I don't know, that that wasn't me. I I, I don't know where that came from. That's not my MO. That tickles me. You want to know why? It goes exactly against what Jesus said. Jesus, if Jesus were standing there when you said, oh, that wasn't me, and I don't know where that came from, I'm a bit confused about why I said that something so ugly, so mean, Jesus would say, I know why you said it, because that's who you are. <laughs> See, what you say flows from your character, right? So, but we tend to give ourselves a pass. We tend to say, oh, that's not me, and, and I usually don't say stuff like that, and I don't know where that came from. Jesus says, I know where it came from. It came from your heart, Number one, we have to admit our need because I can't change my heart. You can't change your heart. I can't just decide to get the anger and the jealousy and the lust and the impatience and and the the resentment and and the insecurity and the worry and the fear. I can't just remove that stuff. I would love to, but I need God's help and so do you. That stuff needs to be replaced with love and joy and the ability to forgive and show grace and the ability to have patience and, and peace. And that only happens when we admit our need and say, God, I need your help. Come into my life and replace all that stuff with goodness. Replace all that stuff with the character of your son, Jesus Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Number one, we admit our need. Number two, once we do that, now we're in a position to allow God to attack something. You know what he's going to attack? He's going to attack our mind. He's going to go after our thought process. Once we come to him and say, God, I need your help, he's going to say, okay, here's what I want to do. I want to change the way you think about words. Every time God wants to change you or change me, he wants to change the way we think because all transformation happens by transformation of the mind. I just sent out something on Twitter today. Hopefully you follow me on Twitter. If you don't, you should. There's a lot of, a lot of good stuff going out there. 
This morning I sent out a verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, all transformation, all change from the inside out comes when I change the way I think. So if I surrender to God and say, God, I need your help. I got word problems or heart problems. The first thing he's going to do is say, Danny, okay, let's talk about the way you think about words. And here's what he revealed to me. Most, most people, even Christ followers, still live in their own little kingdom, the kingdom of self. Now, if you're living in the kingdom of self, you will use your words to get whose way? Your way, because you are the king and you are the queen of your little world. And so your words will be a mechanism, your words will be a tool, your words will be a strategy to bring about what you want in your little kingdom. But that's not the offer that Jesus makes. Last I checked, Jesus said something like this, repent and turn into my kingdom. Last time I checked, the prayer, the model prayer that he gave us was, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. (laughs) Anybody? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, right? See, the offer of Christianity is, will you turn from living in your little world, your little kingdom, and step into my kingdom? And when a person steps into the kingdom of God, they surrender this little muscular, you know, organ in their mouth to the kingdom purposes, to the purposes of Jesus, to bring about whose will? The will of God. Well, that changes everything. Now my tongue is under the control or is supposed to be used for the purposes of God's kingdom and not Danny Anderson's little world, which is so tempting because I have three children. Anybody else raising children? And so I want my kingdom to go a certain way. And I'm so tempted to just use my words to bring about what I want in my little kingdom. But when I surrender to the kingdom of God, here's what God says. Oh, I'm so glad. Let me show you the new purpose of words in the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be, say it with me, an encouragement to those who hear them. See, when you step into the kingdom of God, God says, I have a new purpose for your words. Not to bring about your will, but to bring about my will. And you know what my will is? I want you to be a blessing to other people. See, in your notes there, the purpose of words in the kingdom of God is to help others. Help others. Changes everything. Now you know the purpose. Now you know the target. I surrender to God, I admit my need, and I find out that God wants me to use my words to help others and to be an encouragement. I remember a couple years ago, I ran my first and my last marathon. (laughs) The monumental marathon ran in November. It was freezing that day. It was also raining that day. I trained really hard. My goal was to break four hours. And for the first 16, 17, 18, 19 miles, man, I was on pace. I was running 820, 830, 840 miles, just on pace to break my record, my, my, my goal. Around mile 19, man, I, things started to get a little shaky. <laughs> I was freezing. It was raining. I started to slow down. I started my, my 840s turned into 920s, then 930, then 10 minutes, and I was really starting to grind there in mile 22, 23, 24, and 25. I was just trying to keep one foot in front of another to finish this race. I was completely exhausted when I saw the sign for mile 26. Oh, what a picture. What a joy to see that sign. That sign said you got one mile to go. About that time, I started to notice that there were some people on the sidewalk. 
and they started to say things, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, you know, wow, there's a person, and, and they were saying things like, you're almost there. They started saying things like, you're going to make it. And then I actually heard somebody say, go get it, Danny. And I thought it was my best buddy there, you know. And so I looked over and, I, and I'm like, no, I realized, I realized I didn't recognize them, but my name, my name tag was on the... <laughs> People were saying, Danny, you're going to make it. And they had rattlers. They had signs, you know. And, and, and as I got deeper into the 26th mile, there more and more seemed to be my best friends had come out to watch me finish this race. And they were calling my name, and they were calling the names of the people behind me, and they were cheering, and they were saying, go get it, and you're going to make it. And, and here's something incredible happened, and I still can't really understand it. I mean, I think I understand it. I started to run faster. Now, mile 21, 2, 3, and 4, I was getting slower. And it wasn't because I wanted to get slower. I just didn't have anything left in the can. And I started to run faster and faster and faster, and I almost couldn't, I almost couldn't even feel my legs, and then people were saying, you're there, half a mile, keep going, more signs, more name, and I got more and more excited, and I started running faster and faster, and I crossed that finish line, and I realized that after I checked the stats, and my, you can see how fast you ran each mile, my fastest mile, check this, was the 26th mile, I ran it in seven minutes and 30 seconds with no energy and no gas. I still don't understand that, except for the fact that people were pouring out encouragement on me, and I'm not a scientist, and I can't prove this, but I read a little bit about it. There is something that happens physiologically in the body when someone says something encouraging to you. Here's what the Bible says thousands of years earlier. Worry weighs a person down but an encouraging word, say it with me, cheers a person up. There's something that happens inside of my soul. On that day, I got stronger, I got faster, I got more excited, and there was a change in me. So what have I done? I've just, I've just said, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta do this with the people in my life. I gotta do this with my wife. I gotta do this with my kids. I, gotta, I have to do what those people did for me. The Bible says it right here. And so any chance I get, I say things like, man, you're going to do it. You can make it. Think about what you can do if you, if you put the work in, if you put the, uh, the hours of practice in. Here's what's going to happen in your life. And I don't always get it right. And my wife could tell you. <laughs> but I sure try to pour out the encouragement in my home and here at church and even with all of you. Because something happens to us when people are encouraging us. Do you agree? That's the purpose of words in the kingdom of God. So number one, we're going to admit our need. Number two, we're going to change the way we think about words. Number three, and this really has a lot to do with number two, if our words don't fit the category of number two, we're going to zip it. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to zip it. Shh. It turns out grandma and grandpa were right. Remember what, remember what they used to say? Remember what your parents used to say? If you don't have anything good to say, don't say it. It's true. Right? Just, 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 look, it's in the Bible, too. Watch this, watch this. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. <laughs> Keep a watch over the door of my lips. Like, if I don't have, God, if it's, if it's not going to be positive, it's not going to be encouragement, put a soldier, put, a, put an armed soldier in front of my lips so that nothing negative comes out. I could sum up this whole talk with Proverbs 13, verse 3. 
Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. But whoever opens wide his lips, just says whatever he wants to say, whenever he wants to say it, is going to come to, say it with me, ruin. There's a cost. If you and I don't get a grip on our words, there will be a cost. Years ago, my dad used to say when I was a teenager, when I was 13, 14, uh, I had two older brothers. Jason was 15, Jimmy was 16, and we would just say stuff to each other. Anybody else? Siblings can be the worst. And we would say stuff, and I would, as the youngest brother, I would say stuff. Like, you know, I would just say mean things. And one day my dad looked at me and he said, you know, one day, son, you're going to say the wrong thing to the wrong person and you're going to get right in the nose. Turns out he was right. (laughs) He was right. Guard your mouth, preserve your life. Open it up and spew and say whatever you want to say. And you're going to come to ruin. I don't want that to happen to me or you or this church. You know, this platform here, right here, I'm tempted to say a lot of things. There's a lot going on in our world today. Politically, there's a lot going on in our world today. I have a lot of opinions. You don't hear them from me, do you? Some of you probably think, well, he doesn't even have any positions. He didn't even say anything about anything in church. He should say this. He should say that. Nope. I'm going to guard my mouth to preserve this church. Because Jesus has called us to have a specific mission to make disciples of all nations. And that's what I'm going to talk about. The inner transformation of the person. Which, by the way, by the way, when a person transforms from the inside out, doesn't that transform their home? Doesn't that transform their marriage? Doesn't that transform their parenting? Doesn't that transform a community? Doesn't that make for a great country? Yes or no? When people are becoming disciples, like good people on the inside where they're doing the right thing and they're telling the truth and they're following the rules, you get millions of people like that together. What do you have? You have a great country. So what's the answer to having a great country? Electing better leaders? Come on. What do you think? No, it's the inner transformation of the soul. It's the hope of the gospel that makes a great nation. It's an inside-out job. And so that's why a lot of times you don't hear me say anything about anything other than the gospel and what it can do in my life and in your life. In fact, when Christians take the opposite view and they start talking politics, what do we end up doing by default? All the people who are atheists and all the people who are outside of faith and agnostics, they will actually use our words against us. And what will they call us? hypocrites, and then they'll take it a step further and they'll call us haters. Because we feel it's so important to let people know our positions, and we're against this person, against this group, we're against, we're against, we're against, we're against. And what they hear is, you hate, you hate, you hate, you hate. I want nothing to do with Christianity or church, because it's filled with haters. If we zipped it, what if we zipped it? And we just worked on becoming really good people, loving people and showing people what the gospel looks like through our lives. Wouldn't that speak a lot louder to an unbelieving world? I think it would. we got to get a grip on our words. We'll preserve our life 
and will preserve the credibility of Christianity. Now, a few moments ago, I mentioned that this isn't something we can do by ourselves. If we need God's help, the f- number one is admit our need, like word problems or heart problems. Like unless we ask God to invade our lives, we'll never fix what's broken on the inside. And if we don't fix what's broken on the inside, our words will continue to cause damage. There's some of you here today, you're not a Christ follower. You, don't, you would never claim Jesus as your Savior. But maybe, maybe today, God has opened up a window, a, a, a little space in your heart where you, you're open. And here's what I would say to you. He loves you. The reason someone brought you here is because they love you. They want you to know this person, Jesus. They want you to know the love that is in him. They want you to know the life that is in him. That person who brought you here today, they want you to experience what they've experienced, the acceptance of God, a brand new life, a brand new identity, forgiveness of your sins, eternal life that starts right now and goes on forever and ever and ever. That's why they brought you. Maybe you're watching online today and someone told you to watch or invited you to watch or sent you the link. The reason they did that is because they want you to know Jesus. They want you to know true, eternal life. Jesus would say this to you today. Would you come? Would you come to me for joy, for forgiveness, for peace? Would you let me enter into your heart and begin to change you from the inside out and get all those things that, that, are, that are nasty and dirty out and replace those, those, replace those things with the goodness and joy and peace and, and love? Perhaps, perhaps you, you would take my words right now and, and make them your own and place your trust and faith in Christ and become a Christ follower and step into this thing called eternal life. I'll leave that between you and God. What I'll do right now is I'll just say the prayer and give you the opportunity that, the opportunity that God is presenting you today to begin a relationship with Christ, to have your sins washed away, to be reconciled to God, to start a brand new life, a brand new relationship with God. If that's you today, will you bow your eyes and close your, close your eyes and bow your head? Take these words, make them your own. Reach out to God in faith and trust and say this. Dear Jesus, I come. I still have a lot of questions. still have doubts. But I come. I reach out in faith to you today. I've been living apart from you my whole life. But today, I have a little bit of faith and I'm trusting you. I believe you died for me on the cross and you rose again the third day to make it possible for me to have life. So I I reach out. I trust you. Enter my life, be my savior and help me to live this life. Walk with me, talk with me change me from the inside out. Help me to get a grip on my words so that they can be a blessing to those who hear them and not a curse. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, first of all, we want to celebrate with you if you prayed that prayer. I mentioned earlier that transformation 
from the inside out is what God is up to in the world. And that happens when we change the way we think. And so what we would like to do if you pray to receive Christ today is put a, a one-year New Testament in your hand uh, so that you can begin reading it. And that, that's how God actually changes the way you think. It's one of the primary ways. And so if you pray to receive Christ today, there's tables back here to my left and to my right. You can grab one of those. If you pray to receive Christ today online, there's a little uh, button there that you can click that says, uh, I accepted Christ. We'll be sure to get one of these to you through the mail. One more time, can we give God a hand for what he's done today? Now, I don't know what you're doing this afternoon, but I'm actually headed right now to a high school basketball game. My son is going to be playing about 30 minutes away. And so I'm going to have an opportunity to put my sermon into practice today uh, when the referee makes a bad call. And if you've been coming for a while, you know that's a struggle for me. And so I'm praying, maybe you can pray for me to set a guard on my mouth and just zip it and uh, just be an, a blessing to the players and to the coaches and to the referees. Now, that's my test this afternoon. You're, I don't know what yours is. Maybe you have a family gathering. Hello. <laughs> maybe you're having the in-laws over. I don't know what you're doing this afternoon. Uh, but hey, right here, number two, lift up, be an encouragement, admit your need, God help me, right? You put this stuff to the test, what you're going to find as you put it into practice, it works. It works. It really does work. So follow me on Twitter. I'll let you know how I do this afternoon after the basketball game. Let's pray. God, we love you. <clears throat> Thanks for the ability to have some fun in church, but also dive deep into uh, some things that we need to get worked out. This tongue, according to James, is a restless evil filled with deadly poison. And when we use it to bless you and curse people, it's, it's inconsistent, it's harmful. We gotta get a grip on it. We know we're gonna give an account one day for the words we use, so help us. Help us to change the way we think about words, to use them in light of the fact that we're living in the kingdom with you, to be an encouragement and a blessing to the people in our lives. We love you, it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Next week, don't forget, we're talking about sexuality, PG-13, okay? So make sure you check in your smaller kids in the children's ministry. God bless you. We'll see you next week.